Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. With me are my hosts, Gretchen and Bill. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Hello. So, you know, got an interesting show coming up this week. We've got a number of news items, which we'll be covering here in a little bit on a variety of different topics. In the second section, we're going to be talking robots, AI, some stuff from CES. Uh, And yes, we have talked about all these things before, but it seems like an area that is growing where there's a lot of changes coming in. And I'm seeing the first device that I actually think could be called a droid, like from Star Wars, that seems to have a lot of the capabilities that you would see in there. I just hope it's not like Chopper. Anyway, (laughs) so... (laughs) But such as these things are, we are definitely seeing things with this technology that's making it very interesting and something that is growing at an exponential rate. And, you know, some of these are positive and there's a lot of other things you could do with this that maybe isn't so good, but it is here and it is growing and it is definitely something we want to keep an eye on. Interestingly enough, when I was going through the list, it felt like something I would have seen just in a sci-fi movie 10 years ago. So I started checking back on some of these devices and things that are coming out, and most of this stuff did not exist even in prototype form back in 2013, which is you know when we started our show. So uh, it's interesting how much this has grown. So we're going to be digging into that a little bit in the next section and also addressing some questions that have been coming in from all of this. So stay tuned for that. But first, let's go ahead and cover the news. What do we have in the news this week? All right. Google Podcasts is going away. Yeah, Google seems to be kind of like Sony with their PlayStation, where they'll bring up services for a while and then drop them off. Uh, Google Podcast is going away. It's being merged into YouTube, I believe. That makes and sense. So it actually, it kind of does. So our podcast was distributed on Google Podcasts. We're actually going to be adding a YouTube channel. That was planned before I knew about this anyway. So everything will just be in one spot as far as that. So that'll be kind of cool. But it is one thing to just be aware of if you use Google Podcasts. I think it's the end of this month where it's going to be decommissioned and you'll need to figure out something else for me. Atari opens pre-orders for the 400 Mini, Atari 2600 Plus available. So we have not gone back in time to 1982, (laughs) (laughs) but it is interesting. And we get a lot of questions in on this stuff, and I've still been trying to figure out whether really what my opinion is on it. I don't know. Atari today is not Atari of yesteryear that had the VCS 2600, 5200, and all of that. It's a basically a reboot of the company, but they have the intellectual property rights, and they've been trying to ramp things up and getting get it going again. And there is a market for nostalgia video games. And yes, you can pretty much get everything on an emulator and all of that kind of stuff. But I am one that agree. I still have an Atari 5200, and I still occasionally break it out. And the controllers still don't work properly and all of that, but it is definitely something that people do like. So a couple of years ago, Atari, this new Atari, tried to launch a basically a set-top box. We've talked about this on the show, and Bill, I know you're you're in my opinion both on it was kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Have you changed your opinion on it or do you still think it's yeah? I just haven't heard enough interesting about it to really you beyond that. Yeah, and that was kind of my feeling too. Digging into it a little bit, it was a Linux set-top box, and 
had some interesting things that um, you could get a lot of the classic games on it and stuff, but it didn't, I don't know. It just didn't seem to fit in any real niche that a gaming console or, you know, a retro machine or something else. They were also trying to do, for lack of a better term, an Atari Bitcoin with it, um, which I haven't heard too much about that. So I'm not sure where that ended up, but the company I think has done something that in my opinion is a little bit better. And they launched the relaunching looks just like, feels just like some of the old equipment, the Atari 2600 plus being the first one of those. And this is a device you buy. It is physically a little bit smaller than the original 1980s 2600. And there were multiple editions back then. So it'd be more along the lines of what was called the four switch, uh, which I think was their second version of the original Atari. Somebody that's an expert on this would know better than me, but the new one that's come out, will play all of your old video games. It actually does run, but it also has modern memory and all of those kind of things for enhanced stuff so that you can get reboots and remakes of things. So you can still buy a cartridge in a box that's remade. If you have the game sitting in the closet, you can dust them off and actually run it on this thing. It is an emulator, which is kind of interesting to think that they did it that way, but they almost would have had to have, or they would have really been stuck with like 2K of memory and some of the other limitations on the original console. And it does play correctly something around 95% of the original library. There are a few that won't work for whatever reason. Uh, and that gets into when they started using cartridge or memory switching technology and some of the things that trip it up. But it is something that seems to be a little more like than the original attempt at this. And it does a lot of other things as well. So you're not limited really. And it really does bring kind of a computer to the television in the same way that an Xbox or a PlayStation would, but has the nostalgia piece of it too. So on the heels of that, Atari, back in the day, original Atari, had a number of home computers, and they were modeled 400, 800, 800XL, and I had a 130XE. Gretchen, I know you had a one of those two. I don't remember what the model was. ST. I was the, one of the original design. Yeah, yours was a 16-bit, mine was an 8-bit, but it was that era. Yeah, And they're launching this thing that looks like the original Atari 400. Um, I don't believe the keyboard on it works. And the original real Atari 400 had a horrible membrane keyboard. I remember that. But it is something that is supposed to be along those lines. It launches, and again, it's an emulator that will play games. So it, and if you're not familiar with the way Atari worked in the day, there were games that were available on their computers that weren't available on their consoles. And then there were games that were available on some of their consoles that weren't available on the others. So what this kind of comes down to is a situation where they're trying to bring a lot of that back, but something that is modern. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. The one thing I did get to play with and I do like is the joystick for anybody that knows Atari. The model was a CX-40, and that was the big joystick with one button that came with the uh, original Atari. Yeah, And it seems like the new ones are very... It feels just like it, whether that's positive or negative, and there's a lot of opinions on that. But it has the feeling of the original hardware that would have come with it. So, you know, it seems like they're doing a thing. I would say that acceptance of the 2600 plus, and we'll see what the 400 is, is a lot better than the original when they tried to reboot. People do seem to like it, a lot more positive response. So maybe I'll see if I can get my hands on one of these and we can all try it and let you know what you think. But if you see Atari 2600 out there, you didn't miss out on something and go back in time, they are really doing it again. Zuckerberg apologizes to families of kids harmed online as Senate grills tech CEOs. 
So the Senate is trying to dig into a lot of the weird stuff that has been going on. And this is, I believe, a... Uh, I have to look and see which committee it is that's actually doing it. Judiciary uh, Committee, I think. Where they're trying to camera in and kind of lock down on some of the things that have been going on, good, bad, and otherwise. And it's the idea of what kind of new regulations, if any, Congress wants to put on these platforms. And that being the case, we're going to be talking about this in a little bit more detail, a little bit with what happened with Taylor Swift this week. But there's a lot of pros and cons on these different type of things. But some of the things they're looking at that absolutely does need to be addressed is, well, for one thing, daily cyber tip, uh, tips of children uh, sexually abused online have gone up tenfold in the past 10 years, reaching 100,000 daily reports last year. Wow. Uh, it's according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So stuff like that absolutely dealt with. And then other things, you know, how do you end up dealing with it? So I think that's what they're doing with this type of a thing. But yeah, Zuckerberg uh, got out there and was talking to Congress and apologized for some of these type of things. It seems legitimately maybe wanting to deal with it. I will tell you another um, CEO of a uh, social media company not makes a mistake. We'll see where this ends up. FBI director warns China hackers are preparing to wreak havoc and cause real world harm to Americans. We've talked about this before too, is the fact that our critical infrastructure, things like water treatment plants, electrical grid, transportation systems, and so on, are too easy to hack. And the FBI director is saying that there is more information coming out that China is ramping up their attacks on these systems. And we've talked cybersecurity in depth, I know, a lot, and we've seen a lot of hacks. <laughs> a lot of hacks, that's putting it mildly. But he's saying that we really do need to pay more attention to this. And it's interesting, you know, that this is coming out now, which is something that's really been the case. But I, I don't know what else to say about that. We need to really kind of get this stuff locked down. I do yeah. agree with the statement. Yeah. But it is nice to see maybe they're taking it a little more seriously. We'll see what ends up going on with it. Taylor Swift search blocked on X. So I haven't heard this big story. In a, so what's the deal on this? Okay, so basically what this comes down to is a situation where there were a number of deep fake photos and videos, I think, posted on X, Twitter X, uh, depicting Taylor Swift in sexual things and other things that were not real, not appropriate. And Twitter's reaction to it was simply to block all searches on her name, which was certainly a knee-jerk reaction, but I guess was better than doing nothing. And uh, they locked it out for a little while and then started to deal with it. I believe she is searchable now. But this is something that, that is an issue and something that's becoming a pretty big issue. Now, I'm not an attorney or anything to where I could speak to the legal end of this, but I can, can give you a 10,000-foot view that what this all falls under is something called Section 230. And this is something that has been talked about in different ways now as social media and other platforms are ramping up and a lot of cases aren't doing a good job blocking stuff that shouldn't be out there. 
And this is something that's been on the books since 1995. What Section 230 is, is it basically says uh, a very 10,000 foot view explanation of this, that uh, platforms that carry information cannot be held responsible for the information they carry that's posted by others. So in other words, if somebody goes on Facebook or Twitter X or whatever and posts something that's absolutely fake, like these photos, the platform itself cannot be held responsible for that or for disseminating the information. The argument against getting rid of this exemption is that it allows for the open internet to work. You, you know, if, if they had to be scared about this type of a thing and could be held legally responsible, we would lose open communication and social media. However, the other argument, which in many ways is just as valid, is things like what happened to Taylor Swift. Now, Taylor Swift has brought this to the forefront, but the abuse, especially of women, of people posting fake images and all this kind of stuff is a problem and is not a new problem. So it's something that very much should have been addressed. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it takes, you know, having someone involved as celebrity to be able to really bring it to the forefront. So the question becomes, where do you find kind of the middle of the road and what can be done? Well, in, in, in answer to that, you know, because it is definitely a valid question is, well, what can Taylor Swift really do about it? She, could go after the people that made the photos. That's probably an option, but it's very unlikely that that individual or those individuals or whatever it was would have any money to collect in a judgment and that kind of a thing. So she'd end up spending time and money and resources and probably not get a whole lot out of it other than just maybe putting forward that this is a bad thing, which could be worth it. But, you know, again, it's what do you do? Well, can you sue the social media platforms? Well, it would seem that Section 230 says no, you can't. Um, So what it kind of comes down to then is, does there need to be a standard for some kind of liability if your social media platform does nothing and knows that there's this problem? Do they have some kind of an obligation to act, like a good Samaritan law or something of that nature? And right now it would appear that they don't. Hmm. But if you get rid of it completely, then you're going to block down the freedom of speech. So this is kind of the issue and what's dealing with this. I think that since we have someone of celebrity, Taylor Swift, that had this happen, it's going to now force this issue to at least be addressed and have some way to try to deal with these kind of problems. Because this is a big thing, and it is something that is absolutely not appropriate. And things like um what is it, retaliation, sex porn, some topics like that are issues that these type of things create. And with deep fakes, it's now possible to falsify such images, but have them look real enough that people aren't going to question. They're just going to go, oh, look what so-and-so did. Now, somebody, you know, this comes up and your job finds out about it and you get fired because of that or, you know, these type of things, it can cause real damage, not to mention the fact that it's a huge invasion of privacy and just not appropriate, you know? So anyway, but that's what happened with Taylor Swift, uh, the section 230 argument we will see in the news again, I think, trying to start to address this now and see if there is some kind of a middle of the road compromise that they can come up with. There's a lot of other people that can go in a lot more detail on this than I can, but at the end of the day, it's not a new problem. It's just maybe a new problem that some people are hearing. First dive survey of Lake Tahoe's lake bed finds high amount of plastics and other litter. Yeah, so this is something that we saw it. I wanted to put in here. I mean, we all um, are from Reno, and one of the beautiful assets near Reno is Lake Tahoe. 
always yeah. has been. It's for a anybody that doesn't know, like, yeah, and 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 mine too, and many people. It's for anybody that's not familiar with Lake Tahoe. It's a very crystal clear. I think the clearest lake in the world. Um, up in the mountains there, there's ski resorts. There's all kinds of recreational activities, and it is just a beautiful spot to be able to go to. But it is getting more and more polluted, and some of the really sad things I know the last couple of Fourth of Julys is just where people trash the environment yeah. up there, and, and the residents volunteered to clean up the beaches, so the locals are picking up the messes from the visitors, and the visitors yeah. should really, you know, pick up their own. Well, it's it, it's very much uh, disrespectful and an abuse of an area. I mean, some of these pictures I saw looked like they were a trash dump. I wouldn't have known yeah. it was a beach. Yeah, That's how bad it was. And like you say, the local residents and others are going in to clean this stuff up, which A, they shouldn't have to do, but B, and the other big part of it is, is a lot of this trash ends up in the lake inevitably, you know, and that being a part of it. There's other things. Um, I believe it was AT&T ran phone lines um, back in the 50s, 40s, 50s, something like that under the lake that are lead lined. Now they're trying to figure out how they get those out because it's leaching the lake and we don't want to lose this beautiful natural resource. It is so clear that you can see the bottom of the lake and it is very deep. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. And getting out there and that type of a thing. So it's just, we've been seeing the news microplastics is in just about everything now, places you wouldn't expect. And unfortunately, Tahoe is no exception to it, not that it would be, but it is definitely something that, you know, when any of us think, oh, I'm just going to you know, throw that away and it's no big deal, these things add up. They're huge problems. We must all clean up our trash at the very least. All right, our next thing is how to check if your iPhone has been tapped. Well, don't you just hear for clicks and snaps on the line? That's the old days. (laughs) 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 You know, tick, tick, tick. (laughs) So this is actually an issue. And what they are recommending you do is something called a safety check. I'm not going to go through this step by step now, but we will post a link to this on our social media. So that you can have a look because there's a number of menus and different things you have to go through. Uh, iOS 17, uh, iOS 16 is where they implemented this feature, but I think it works a little different now. It's unset- under settings, privacy and security and safety check. That's the way that you get into it. But there's a number of things that you need to do underneath it. But it's definitely a good thing to address. And we're going to look up and see what the Android equivalent of this is and cover it in a future show. Because with installing apps and different things and the fact that malware can get on your phones, it's entirely possible something like this could happen. And the other thing of it is, is our devices can be shared. So it's possible through that that things can be monitored. So knowing what's going on, especially with such a complicated device, the days of the clicks, as you say, are long gone. But even those devices where you picked up a phone, you dialed a number. Now you basically have a full computer that can do a lot of different things. And you don't necessarily know everything it's doing. So just something to be aware of. And like I said, we'll go ahead and post a link to this on our social media. So check that out at userfriendly.show. We have social on uh, Facebook, X, and LinkedIn right now. We're going to be doing others. But I would say go to the website because it's the easiest way to find the links and you don't have to search. SpaceX will launch Starlab private space station using Starship. So the space station is being retired in 2030. They are going to deorbit it. We talked about that previously on this show. So the question is, what do we do next? Well, this mm-hmm. is what it's looking like. It's going to be private enterprise. There's actually several 
proposals for the next space station, and there will most likely be more than one. But got to consider um, the current space station goes away in six years now. So this isn't that far away, yeah. and especially something like this that is very, very involved. So uh, Airbus is involved, Voy- a company called Voyager. Uh, there's some different joint operations. And SpaceX is going to be covering the launching uh, using their Starship to be able to get stuff up and that type of a thing. So, you know, interesting thing. I'd love to get somebody on that can actually talk about this in a lot more detail. So I think it's time to reach out to NASA. And you've usually got someone that really can, can dig into these things. And I know NASA is funding a big part of the new space station project anyway. So there's got to be information out there. But let's plan for that and send us your questions of what you'd like us to ask NASA on this, because that's how we'll put it together. And we'll get an interview up here in a couple of weeks. Kevin Conroy posthumously voices Batman in one last film after video game controversy. Yes, and this is creating quite the controversy. And when I was looking into this and had heard about it, I was trying to read about it, I was trying to figure out a few things. As far as I can tell, the voice acting that they're wanting to use is stuff that uh, Conroy actually did prior to his death. So it's not like a deep fake or anything like that. It's stuff that was already, you know, on the books. Conroy passed away of intestinal cancer in November of 2022, the age of 66. So at that point, that was the end of that. And he is, in my opinion, in many people's opinions, and disagree with me if you do, who I consider when I think of Batman, what he sounds like. That's, I agree with that completely. And also Mark Hamill as the Joker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those two some... people—they are the best Batman and Joker, and it, it just is what it is. And you know, we're having obviously people pass away, unfortunately, but they do so yeah. dealing with this in a respectful way. I would think I would have a real problem with it personally if they were like trying to use an AI or something to create his voice, but it doesn't seem like what the case is here. So I think both arguments have merit. Be interesting to see what they actually do with this. I my understanding is is they've paused this to try to figure out how the best way is to approach it. And you know, again, the portrayal of at, of Batman, Batman the Animated Series, is where his voice was primarily used originally, and why it's associated with Batman and things like that. Appearances in shows like the New Batman Adventures, Batman Beyond, Justice League. It's out there in a lot of different places. And is it okay to use his voice that he did do the acting for in something that's being produced after he passed away? I'm, I'm going to be curious to see where this goes. Let us know what you think, too. And let us know what you think about everything. Like we were just saying, check out our website, userfriendly.show. We love to hear from you. This is how we program our show, and it is the best place to go to get everything and have kind of a one-stop shop where you know that it's us. This is User Friendly 2.0. Don't go away. We're going to be talking robots after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the future. He's got a really big computer. And he uses it, uses it every day. And he uses it, uses it in every way. What's he using for? You know I'm not that sure because he uses technology. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments. Userfriendly.show is the place to do that. Your one stop to check everything out, and that includes past episodes, Tech Wednesday, Flash Briefings, past seasons, and social media. Go right on there. There's a big blue button to send the questions, and please keep them coming in. All right. Well, as promised, we're going to be talking 
a little bit about robots and some other things here. So the Consumer Electronics Show, which we covered a few weeks ago, is held at the beginning of the year every year in Las Vegas. And they talk about the new things that are coming out. And this year, a lot of focus on AI, of course, because we've been dealing with a lot of that in the last year and robotics and different things. So it's interesting to see where a lot of the proof of concepts are starting to go with all of this and the technology behind it. And one of the things that is enabling all of this is new storage technology. So all right. What would you consider, Bill? I'm going to just put you on the spot with this. What would you consider by today's standards to be a large hard drive? Oh, what did they come out with? They had a 32 gig terabyte right now. Okay. Yeah. 32 terabyte would be, uh, would be big. I would think. Um, no, they're talking I, about 16 terabyte M2s, which is pretty big. Yep. But, um, so how about 10,000 terabytes? That's a lot of wow. Congress. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could fit a lot of pictures of cats off the internet on that. Um, uh-huh. So this is a proof of concept. That's actually something that is, we're going to need additional storage to be able to drive all of these things. And it's a ceramic based data storage system. It uses a laser to be able to read and write from them. The interesting thing about it is, is they're talking about a situation where they call it a cost-effective, fast, and scalable technology because no energy is consumed to store data. I don't know how they deal with lasers, but that's what they're saying. Hmm. And it can last more than 5,000 years due to the fact that it's made ceramics. Okay, so. getting thermodynamics there. Um. <laughs> so my so question would be... 5,000 years, yeah. A, I have a lot of questions on that myself. Yeah. However... So what if you drop it? Well, yeah, ceramic? if you drop it in ceramic, it would break, right? So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's, there's stuff like that. But I guess the point of comparison that they're trying to make here, 5,000 years, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be around to see if that's real. Yeah. But a hard drive you buy today, whether it's a solid state or a mechanical hard drive, lasts a few years, like maybe five, generally. I mean, some go longer, some go shorter. And those two, if you drop them, will probably get screwed up. So you have that same type of thing here. So I could see where this would last a lot longer than what we have today and probably has less going on to do with. So, you know, and again, I don't think anybody around today is going to be able to see if the 5,000-year claim holds. But at the end of the day, proof of concept is showing that it is possible to do this. And the size of the device is also quite interesting, too. That 10,000-terabyte hard drive would fit in the palm of your hand. Really? It's really? not like a huge thing either. And they and they cool. do have a proof of concept working. So, uh, you know, interesting to see where it goes. It's a ceramic surface that's on top of a glass base. And uh, write speed and all that kind of things, you know, the specific numbers still haven't been completely quantified. But it can be written at gigabits per second speeds, whatever the number is, I don't know yet. And um, go from there. And that being used can drive storage and things for a lot of the other devices that we're coming up with here and robots and all of those kind of things. AI relies on this. So today, when you do things like voice recognition with your smartphone or a smart speaker, what's actually happening is a short recording of your voice is being taken, sent to a server cloud-based system somewhere that has the processing capability to do that. And then an answer is sent back to the smart device. That's how it works. You cannot at this point actually fit voice recognition in the 
fingerprint of something like a cell phone because there just isn't enough capability. So these type of technologies would start to change that kind of stuff with storage and being able to be increased as well as processing power and that type of a thing. And to that end, it starts to minimize a lot of different things. And we get a lot of very interesting, let's say, AI-driven devices. One of the ones was a motion pillow. So this is a, a combination what? of a robot and AI. And the idea is, is the AI monitors the user snoring and slowly inflates or deflates airbags to lift your head, open your airway, and reduce your snoring. There's an app that goes along with this that tracks your sleep data, airbag operation time. Now, they have versions of this in some of the smart mattresses, but this takes us a step further. And from the feedback we're seeing, works a lot better. Now, the only difficulty that I would come up with this is I don't know if I want to spend $699 on a pillow. Yeah. That sounds like an insurance claim to me. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) Does my insurance cover pillows? You know, uh, I mean, it's a medical reason. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, and if, and if there is as a CPAP user, I can certainly relate to this, but I still, a $700 pillow device is called motion sleep. Uh, and actually at CES got the uh, 2024 innovation award, in the smart home category. So it is liked, and I think it looks interesting. Just the price more than anything that, uh, uh, deals with that. The other one that's interesting that uses AI and some of these new storage platforms and stuff is a smart mirror that is using generative AI provide personalized recommendations in the form of something like therapy, guided meditation, self-affirmations, and so on. So in other words, it can pick up your mental state and it can give you a pep talk. <laughs> okay. I thought maybe okay. it was going to go, really? You're using that color of eyeshadow? That's terrible. You know? See, now that's more what I think it's. A- <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, you know, now some of these get a little bit where, you know, I started thinking of, sci-fi with some of the stuff and now what could you do with this that might not be what it's meant for and one of these that came comes to mind is a thing called the multi-purpose intelligent yard robot okay (laughs) so basically this is an ai driven self-propelled autonomous lawnmower with very big blades on the bottom (laughs) (laughs) and get off uh, my lawn You know, and utilizing this capability, it's also a snowblower, a spreader for like fertilizer, a liquid spreader. It does a lot more. I mean, the device looks cool until it gets mad at you. It's it looks like it's built on treads too. Uh-huh. So this thing. <laughs> wow. A lawnmower well, now, or a farm equipment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. It's a, a kind of a combination, you know. <laughs> so I have a question. Does it recognize pets or animals? Yeah, the AI makes it safe. Uh, from that standpoint, it also can uh, recognize things like rocks, uh-huh. you know, so it's not, and it's not going to break your sprinkler head. So there is definitely some things like that that are pretty cool. So, I mean, a device like this from a, from a standpoint of using it for the right reasons makes a lot of sense. And, you know, like, well, we here in Oregon just got through an ice storm. So this thing would actually be able to go through, clear out your driveway automatically. Um, the original device that this is built on was actually something called Snowbot. So it definitely is a, um, uh, you know, an idea that works quite well for those type of things and you operate it from your phone. Okay. So other devices that we're seeing and have seen robotics in are things like exoskeletons. So this year, a device came out called WIM, 
that was again debuted at CES that works with AI that is for um, individuals that have problems walking. And it's meant to assist with walking and exercising in a safe and efficient manner by providing proper support. So it attaches above your knees and it looks like it attaches around your waist and it tracks information, can set up customized programming and different things like that. So if you're recovering from an injury or you would go to like physical therapy or something, this is where something like this would be used. And trying it out, it felt very natural. You could just walk. In other words, it didn't feel like you had this device on. So these kind of robotics are kind of cool, civilian stuff that really can improve quality of life. I don't know what the pricing is on that one yet either, but uh, it's interesting. I I do find it interesting. Some of these products, they talk about it. They don't tell you how much it's going to cost. So what do you think is going to be the big thing for this year? It's looking like AI-driven robotics, at least right now. Okay. Um, I think that's definitely the direction we're headed now. I made a guess last year, which didn't include AI. And, you know, so I don't, I, I can't predict the future, but it does seem to be the direction we're headed. Oh. Okay. Now, whatever the price is, I think I'm going to need this one item. It's called a hollow box. And this is something straight out of Star Wars. And it is a full-time, real-time holographic display so that you can talk to somebody at a distance. And they say that it resembles a telephone booth and the restrictions on it. You have to be in front of a well-lit background that's white. There's no latency. I'm not sure if I believe that. Probably not noticeable latency, but it's very good. And it creates a holographic Zoom call. Hmm. I'm not sure I'd want that, but there are circumstances where this would be kind of cool if you're talking to somebody that you'd actually want to see. So. Okay, I can see where um, a direction where this would go down the rabbit hole to things that we don't talk about. <laughs> oh, this is like, this oh. is true. But if it's private and stuff, say la vie, you know, it, uh, <laughs> does that. And if you don't have space for a full size holographic unit in your house, they are also offering a product called the Hollow Box Mini that will fit on your desk. Okay, sounds like they, you're, they're encouraging you to build a TARDIS for your, your, your house. And you put this thing in there. That's where you hang out. Yeah, and, and, it, and it is, you know, one of the funniest things too, is uh, when they put the press releases out and, you know, when I called to find out what the details are on that, they sent me to a page with comments and the one comment that seemed to be asked by especially younger people is, I don't think they knew what a phone booth was. That comparison actually <laughs> did not work. <laughs> okay. So then maybe they need to use the TARDIS explanation. <laughs> yeah, really, you know, but um, uh, the next thing on the robotics list is something that it, it, saying in the first section is the thing that is closest to what I would call a droid from Star Wars. It's a thing called Bally. And the actual idea of this, it's made by Samsung. It's actually not a new product. It was launched in 2020, but they've made a, what we'll called a Bally 2.0. I don't know if that's its official name that incorporates AI into the robot. And this is where I'm saying this is beginning to sound R2-D2-ish because it has all kinds of new capabilities. It can uh, present projections, manage appliances. Supposedly, it will do holographic as well as flat screen projections. See how that works. And it does all kinds of other things. There's looking at using these type of devices to be your camera operator. And as our show is getting a video component for it, maybe we'll need one of these. 
have to do a now, fundraiser I'm, of some kind to buy it. But <laughs> the picture that you showed me of it, it looks um, like the design. It would fit in with Tron. It's very yeah. clean, very streamlined, very black and white. So you kind of have a marriage between, you know, Star Wars droids and Tron's beautiful, you know, streamlined looking artwork. You agree? Yeah. It, it does. It it has that feel. I think I didn't think of the Tron, but that is definitely that feeling. Mm-hmm. And you know, this thing moves around on its own and all that kind of stuff, and takes advantage of smart homes. So if you have appliances with those capabilities, it can help you actually cook your food. It will learn your patterns of how you live your life, so that it can provide personalized services. Um, it will send you updates of your pets uh, if you have someone that's maybe a loved one that's injured or ill or something, it will monitor them, let you know what's going on. It will, if you, and this is kind of a feature that's interesting because I've got a lot of smart lights and all these kind of things that I like to play with. So if I come in and I'm in a bad mood, like the mirror, it might recognize my mood and adjust my lighting and music, cheer me up. It has features like that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, <laughs> it can answer phone calls. That's a feature I think I really like. You know, so... <laughs> But uh, we'll have to see if this, how this works. And, you know, maybe, I don't know if you hacked that, you'd make what a chopper version of it for any of our Star Wars fans. <laughs> I think it would be great in a daycare. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it seems like a lot of the daycares are not quite watching the kids well enough. And if you have this extra little buddy who's keeping an eye out on the kids, it might be useful. Yeah. That type of a thing, and there's a lot of places where something like that would be very beneficial. You know, um, I, I don't know. It's interesting to see where it's going with this kind of stuff. I just, you know, you know, and again, as a programmer, I just look at, you know, the positives and the negatives. Are we going to end up with a uh, droid army that's, you know, or something of that nature? Because there's certainly military applications to this kind of technology. And um, we're seeing that with the drone warfare, uh, you know, dealing with the monsters that have invaded Ukraine where that seems to be a big part and it is a big part of things now that even 10 years ago wouldn't have been the case. So if we're bringing things up that have these kind of capabilities, how else are they going to be exploited? Yeah. It's always a, always a question, you know, and speaking of such things and none of this is new this year, but they're continuing to build on it is uh, exoskeleton type robotics. These things exist now and work very well. Uh, we had a guest on last year from Sarcos that manufactures a line called Guardian. And these exoskeletons, from what I've seen, are the best ones that are out there so far. And it is basically something that you would see in sci-fi. You step inside this robot and it makes you Iron Man, you know? <laughs> and um, I can see the day when they can attach a jetpack to something like that and it's just your vehicle and how you... Uh, you operate your life, you know, and there's remote versions of it in the civilian world. They use them for things uh, at height. So a lot of applications like this can really save injury. So you have for today, if you're fulfilling packages, you might have to have someone that goes out, has to lift things. So, you know, that can create back problems. Plus you have someone that limiting that, that occupation to somebody that's capable of lifting heavy things. And you use this kind of equipment so that you no longer throw your back out. It takes the weight. And the remote ones, if you have something that's up in a place that you don't want to fall off of or someone that, somewhere that's difficult to get to, you can deal with that and operate them remotely from a VR headset. So there's all kinds of applications 
See, I can see this. They even have one little one that's like, it looks like a snake. And uh, in civilian application of that is things like petrochemical. You want to inspect the pipes in a place that might be dangerous to go into for whatever reason. You can have the robot do it and it will do it just fine. And you might solve, you know, prevent a problem from something leaking or blowing up or whatever that you wouldn't otherwise. Mm -hmm. I can see this stuff being really useful in a location like um, a warehouse or a store like a Home Depot where you have products and uh, things that are up high that are really heavy and awkward. I know that um, a lot of the people that work in these stores have to learn how to use unusual devices. And um, maybe something like that would be like really useful. Yeah, I think I think so. And I think, you know, across the board and in the medical arena, too, if you have someone that can't walk or, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's just really amazing to see where these type of things will go. So um, there's underwater versions and all kinds of different things. So it's a, it is amazing to see the, where all of this is going. And speaking of AI and, you know, the smartphone came out, what was it, 2008 with the iPhone? I think I've got the right year on that, if not correct me. But We have apps, and it seems like everything has apps, so that's kind of gotten past say. So now a new company is wanting to give us rabbits. Rabbits? (laughs) Rabbits? Rabbits. Okay. So what this is, is it's an AI that basically what it's for is we have a lot of apps on our phones and other devices, and when you want to do something, trying to figure out what the right app is and all that kind of stuff can be difficult. So now you have a rabbit where the AI, you tell the AI what you want it to do, and it executes the apps and figures out how to do it. Oh. Ah. So the product that's coming out on that is something called a Rabbit R1. Again, I don't have pricing on all of this kind of stuff, but it's just kind of an interesting thing. One thing about this that I thought was interesting too is the fact that this looks like it's an additional gadget. So I'm not sure if that's a good thing that you'd have something else you'd have to carry, but I could see where this could get built into stuff if it's something that ends up being successful. So, you know, from that standpoint, that's cool. And the other thing that I think we're going to see a lot more of this year is augmented reality. Now, I hope so. I, I hope so, too, because it's it's something that seems like it's been a, a good thing. Now, the first time we were exposed to augmented reality was, I think, 2014, Gretchen. Yeah, it was a client of like ours. They it wanted this ago. product, which wasn't going to take off just because it was too cumbersome, but where you could essentially use your phone to photo a label on a product at the grocery store. And then it would show you the information about that product or a video. You could do that with business cards and that type of thing. But the barrier to entry on something like that is you had to install an app. It didn't work right. And it was somewhat cost prohibitive to get set up for it to work at all for the company that wanted to do it. But since then we've seen augmented reality come out, things like HoloLens, which is a feature I like if I'm working on a car, there's a mode where you actually can have in your line of vision, the instructions for what you're dealing with, it, it, stuff like that is really a positive use of augmented reality. But some of the other things that we're seeing is getting around the language barrier. They have a few glasses, uh, I would call them more like HUDs on the market. They have projections, projectors in them and stuff, but it's very limited. But it seems like we're getting some new products along, along those lines that will be better to where you can just look at something that's written in a language you don't speak, but you see it in your own language. Or a universal translator where you're hearing your language and you talk and the person you're speaking to hears and theirs. These kind of technologies are starting to come out. The translation's been around for a while, Google Googles and 
Google Translate and there's others out there that will do this. But to have this where it's built into your glasses, so it's just part of your everyday operation, would make a lot of sense and be something that I could see would have a lot of benefit. And we already look at things in our world today where we have a lot more information than we would have even 10 years ago because of the lack of language barrier. So being able to take this to a next level where everybody could talk to everybody in a way that you didn't have to have extra special equipment, you know, a pair of glasses, but that's it, would make things like that a lot easier. So that's another application of AI. I don't think that's so much robotics, but uh, it still would be built in. So what I want is a exoskeleton suit with a jetpack with the HUD built into it, uh, you know, that has all these features on it. And uh, it should have blue skin, and that would just be the apex of perfection. Really, oh, I would want um, I would want it to be uh, let's see weatherproof and and bulletproof, and let's see uh, what else. Oh, and and allows me to use the force. There you are. So you want Mandalorian Vesclar? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can make that happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, but it is amazing to see where a lot of this type of stuff is going and whatever the applications may be. You know, last year we started seeing some true autonomous vehicles. Um, stuff like that is starting to become a thing. The robots basically is, is are. There are still some difficulties because, again, processing power and storage and all that kind of stuff does limit what the AI can do in real time. So if you have something like a vehicle, you have to know for a fact that it's going to stop when it's supposed to. It's not going to run somebody over, that kind of thing. And right. that's where it's still been a little bit problematic because of things like leg. But circling back to where we started on this segment, if you have a handheld device that can store 10,000 terabytes and processing capability capable of handling that, then you can put these devices into the robot and eliminate right. the leg. Then they don't need to communicate somewhere else all the time. And that would work it's, better. Now, of course, the yeah. flip side of it is it also doesn't need to ask your permission to turn on. Right. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, follow that. What what, what was that? Um, that series that's, that's sort of like Star Trek, but it's not. Gosh, darn it. The series yeah. that's sort of like Star Trek, but it's not. Yeah, it was recent. It's really recent. And there was an episode where they showed how rotten these people. Uh, treated the the android race and that's why they became mean um now orion no it's really i know what you're talking about it's really well done Um, and they've been showing it on disney plus and they made an Uh, extra season of it and i should know it because i've seen it i cannot remember uh it's a really good series ship um the uh something yeah okay and everybody come back this is a well-known show yeah and um yeah, I, I remember that now. And they actually had popular music in it. The the lesson is is don't be mean to your AI. Don't yeah. don't create meanness and hate. It's not necessary. Yeah, I, I have to I have to completely agree with that. I think the show we're thinking of is Orville. Yes. And uh, yeah, I knew it would come to me. Yeah. And uh I kept thinking of Firefly or Farscape, and I know it's not those because I knew what you were talking about. Also good sci fi shows, but uh yeah. <laughs> So uh, well, speaking of such things, we've got about a minute to go here. I'm hearing a rumor that we're going to get another uh, Star Trek series. And the rumor I've heard is that it's going to be done kind of like Next Generation. So it's not going to yeah. be a Lower Decks or some of these things. If you like Lower Decks, I apologize. I, but uh, 
it's uh, in that kind of a time frame based around the Klingon Empire. So it'll be interesting oh. to see if that comes out and they can pull it off. Cool. But uh, hopefully Worf will be in it. I always liked his character. Me too. He was, was now, good. What they need is a really slick chief engineer. Somebody in there that's really would make it. That'd uh-huh. be making or break it for a show like Now, like you need that. someone and, decent uh, from Starfleet. Um, I, I don't know. If, I, if I'm going to be a Klingon, if I was playing that role, you know, Starfleet, yeah, we get along and there's a treaty, but Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, no, we are not writing the script for this, but maybe we should be. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Anyway, until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2013-2024 by User-Friendly Media Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and guests and not this radio station. Please check out userfriendly.show for airtimes and podcasts.